Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. I almost hate to use the word educational. Charles Staley. And uh, I failed phys ed and English all the way through high school. Phil Stevens. I guess I'm kind of the, uh, the dark force here. And Rob Fortress Fortney. But there really is no secret. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist, and I'm a bodybuilding enthusiast. Hey, folks. I'm Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm an editor, writer, former competitive bodybuilder, and strength enthusiast. And welcome, everybody. Charles Staley, author of Muscle Logic, creator of Escalating Density Training, and I'm also a master's category competitive weightlifter. Our, our good buddy, Phil Stevens, could no longer be with us today. Um, he, uh, you ever hear, you guys ever hear those occasional uh, ads on the radio where it's like uh, they're looking for research subjects for, you know, if you have dark circles under your eyes and you're between the ages of 53 and 57, uh, we need you to participate in a free medical study. You ever hear those things on the radio? Oh, yeah. I think Phil, yeah, Phil's doing one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so it has... I don't know. I just, uh, he asked me not to kind of explain the details, so so yeah. uh, Phil's, Phil's otherwise uh, occupied uh, doing that today. I wonder if they're looking for people who are like, uh, are you held together by scars and bone spurs? <laughs> you know, it did have something to do with that. <laughs> it had something to do with uh, acute, severe pain and uh, uh. something like that. So, but uh, so hopefully that'll go well for him. Uh, he he says that there's there's money in it for him, and they uh, they they. Uh, they cover all of his experimental medications, um, so it sounded appealing. Well, if he's if he ends up like huge from all this or something, I, I want in. Uh, we want in. We want in. Yeah. So, yep. so uh, Lonnie, I think you were going to start us off today with uh, uh, what, what I really like is we're getting a lot of requests for show topics, and uh, as brilliant as we think we all are, we sometimes um, feel like we're lacking ideas for for new shows. So. Um, did you actually have the email right in front of you, Lonnie? Uh, you know what? I'm looking for if your not, email we can where paraphrase you sent it, that. But... Here it is. Yeah, I've got it here. I can just go ahead and read it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This says, uh, I enjoy the Iron Radio podcast. I've been a steady listener for a few months now. As someone who has lived it for years, but only recently, over the last year or two, started to learn what the hell I was doing, I particularly enjoyed your last episode about getting started and going from terrible to good. I'd love to hear an episode on a related topic. The topic is the you-knows. Often I'll hear you discuss something like, so I was doing the typical you-know, body part split that everybody does to get started. Uh, I'm sure many people know what you're talking about, and sometimes I do too, but not always. In other words, I'd like to hear a show about the basic foundational knowledge that every lifter should have so that the more advanced stuff on some of your typical shows makes sense and is a little more useful. Anyway, I love the podcast. Keep up the good work. So that was that's it. so good. And isn't, isn't that the classic uh, mistake that so-called experts make is assuming that people know what the hell you're talking about? It, it's true. And you know what? One of the one of the things that I wanted to say too is we we can't be too hard on ourselves because I find this is true when you write stuff for internet sites as well. Is there's almost got to be sort of a a categorization of, of different articles, or in this case, podcasts, where you could say, you know, today's podcast is for beginners to intermediates, you know, or yeah, yeah. today's podcast is for the more advanced track and field set, 
you know, or something like that. Because, I mean, a lot of the stuff, it's true, um, we do kind of go off the deep end, I suppose, and it's a great idea. Uh, But, you know, the other thing, too, and and I fully agree, but there are also, in in this whole world of fitness that we all reside in, there are little uh, sub-worlds of of specific areas of interest. And, uh, for example, you know, I would be hard-pressed to put somebody on a Stairmaster and program a workout for them. I don't even know how you work those things, but that's, that's pretty basic knowledge for an average trainer in a gym, but it's just kind of not what I do. So uh, there are little sub-areas of, of specialty, you know. And, and I think our podcast, too, if we want to get really basic, uh, we cover more or less sports that employ strength training, right? So yeah, yeah. bodybuilding, yes, but, you know, we've had track and field people, power lifters, uh, you know, soccer, football. I mean, there's all kinds of sports that fall into this category, and that makes it necessarily broad. So luckily we have a pretty good collection of co-hosts here, you know, yeah, yeah. Sort, of, sort of address it. And it, it is it is a, a good email because it sort of kind of gets to the root of what's foundational, and well, you, I'm know, you know what? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and, you know, I wonder if this, I wonder if we could go two directions. We could explain terms or we could kind of, we could kind of uh, unearth some concepts here. And I, I don't know if it's better for today or a future show, but in either case, I think an interesting exercise for all of us would be if, if you had somebody sitting in front of you who had never heard of the terms fitness, exercise, resistance training, like what is the most foundational layer of knowledge, you know, like what comes first, you know, and that, that would be kind of, you know, take a beginner's mind type of approach toward this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, let me let me make a quick uh, note here. If people are interested in some of the basics, uh, a lot of the old coaching calls that, uh, Charles, that we did with your coaching group, they're on the Iron Radio website, ironradio.org. So if you want to go back and sort of listen in on nutrition basics or you know, certain training basics or that kind of stuff, you can listen to those at ironradio.org. But it's still a cool topic, uh, and it's one that we need to talk about on a regular basis probably. Um, I want to start this off because there's a couple of things that I start with when I do introductory classes uh, for college students. And one of them, like one of my responsibilities over the past couple of years has been to introduce fitness and sports nutrition to dietitian students, future dietitians. And one of the things that I usually start with is the definition of fitness. And again, this is really basic, and I know Fortress is going to be yawning and stuff, but essentially you think about uh, sort of the worldwide accepted definition. And I mean, there's slight variations on it probably, but it's a collection of different physical attributes, right? Like muscular strength is one. Muscular endurance is another. So, you know, repetitions to failure, think about it like that. There's cardiovascular endurance. There's body composition, right, percent fat versus lean. And there's uh, flexibility. So those five categories define fitness. And once you get the idea about those physical fitness attributes, then you can start thinking about how nutrition supports some more than others. I mean, let's face it, nutrition's not going to support flexibility very much. But it would support body comp, you know. Yep. And then we get into the next topic, which is basically exercise prescription. Anybody who sets up an exercise program, they really need to think about FITT, right? Sure. Frequency, intensity, t- 
time or duration of the workouts, and type. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to play volleyball? Are you going to lift? So F-I-T-T is the basic acronym for exercise prescription. So, Charles, when you say how do you begin, that's how I've always done it, defining what physical fitness is and then sort of setting up the basic F-I-T-T for for exercise prescription. But yeah, So I'll I shut like up it. at that point. But No, I mean, I like it. I, I, mean, I mean, even though, like, you know, it, it, it's fun to kind of uh, try to reinvent the wheel a little bit. I mean, it's good to have a wheel to reinvent first. So I, I really agree. You know, it's just such a great starting point, which is what is fitness. And uh, when I heard you... Um, when I heard you list off those attributes, which, of course, I fully agree with, uh, it strikes me as funny because I actually think the average person out there not involved in all this stuff just thinks fitness is, is, is how you look, like what you look like. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, tell me if you think I'm overstating that, but I just think that, you know, how many times have you seen somebody on a TV show remark about, oh, look how fit she looks? Like, well, you can't. You can't tell how fit somebody is by looking at them. Well, I actually think that Lonnie said it best a long time ago. I, I can't remember what context, but you said something to the effect of, maybe it was just with me, but you were saying a lot of people deem fitness just to be the absence of disease. You know, like they go to the doctor and yeah, they... Yeah, that's another thing, yeah. You know, and the doctor just, you know, does his battery, you know, <laughs> tests and then, you know, you're, you're not dying at that moment. So, you know, you're fit as a fiddle. That's so true. No, I mean, because, so, I mean, you know, like my father does that, and he goes to the doctor, and, like, my father is not fit, you know. <laughs> but he always comes back, you know, like the doctor says I'm fit as a fiddle, and it's like, so, yeah, I think I think that was a good point that you made once, Lonnie. Well, last time, if you remember, we were also talking about, like, um, you know, what makes someone elite, or I was talking about, like, the 99th percentile, you know, like yeah. if you can bench yeah. three-quarters of your body weight 26 times or something. I mean, what your dad's talking about, and I think what most people talk about, is they're fit from the standpoint of activities of daily living. You know, if you want to sound like an occupational therapist or something, these activities of daily living, getting in and out of a car, carrying groceries, stuff like that, I mean, that's, that's not fit, uh, listeners, <laughs> the way that we talk about fit, right? We're using the classic definition. <laughs> that, that would be what, what the corporate folks like to call wellness. I saw a thing uh, on the internet somewhere recently. Some somebody opened up some uh, uh, what was it? Uh, the Natural Wellness <laughs> Institute. That's just oh man, my blood pressure just goes up. Like why? First of all, nothing about fitness is natural. You know, it's just the whole idea of wellness is such a crack up to me. You know what? Yeah, it's why, a vagary. Why, why do you just, just want to be well? Like uh, like on my worst day, I want to be better than well. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's just, uh, it's such a lack of courage. Like, you know, why not go after excellence? I just, uh, oh, it's just uh, frustrating, frustrating. Yeah, the World Health Organization defines wellness. So you could tell I teach these intro courses. <laughs> defines well, <laughs> it defines wellness as not just the absence of infirmity or disease, but optimal mental and physical functionality or well-being or something like that. So hmm. it's. Yeah, it, it's a it's a vague term, and unfortunately, you're right. I think it confuses a, the average person, you know, because you're, yeah, yeah. you're oh, I'm I'm well, or like Rob said, you know, his dad, you know, I I feel fit. Well, well, like like Charles yeah. says, I mean, how often do you see you know like women referring to another woman as oh she's in phenomenal shape just because she looks good in the dress or something? So I mean, you make a good yeah. point there. I mean, yeah. that could, person could be. I mean, I actually know a woman right now who 
would fit that description because she always looks phenomenal, you know, in her clothes and stuff. She's very attractive, but she just recently was speaking to me of getting back into, you know, um, going to the gym and how just pathetic she was at any sort of endurance or anything or muscular strength. And, and so, so, yeah, that really, really doesn't define anything as being, you know, I mean, uh, well, it's it, certainly in the context that we talk about. People think it's body composition for the most part. And I'll tell you what, this is the other thing, too. This doesn't apply as much to beginners. Um, but Well, it does to beginners on some level. But the farther you get in a chosen sport and the more you specialize, the less overall fit you are, in a sense, from the classic definition because you start to trade certain attributes for others. Oh, well, I was actually going to bring that up, too, because that's a big topic, as you all know, Lonnie, with me, the whole concept of, you know, probably the most fit people out there, the people who are not specific to anything, but kind of like the weekend athlete kind of guy. Cross trainers, yeah. Yeah, guys, you know, okay, I ski in the winter, I go to the gym once in a while, lift some weights, yeah, whatever, play hockey with my buddies, you know, I go for a jog once in a while. Those people are probably more overall fit than certainly people who are specific, like, you know, strength athletes or so forth. Well, think about some bodybuilders, how, how, you know... They, they they try to sprint 40 meters and they tear their hamstrings or, you know what I mean, they, they go up a flight of stairs and they're grabbing their knees. Now, don't get me wrong. They're, you know, real strength athletes, like you look at power lifters and whatnot, there is a certain muscular endurance or even cardiovascular endurance component to what they're doing. It's just very sport-specific in a way, you know. And, and that, that's just a great term, right, because fitness, after all, means readiness, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just such an obvious point, but it's so lost on people. That's what it means. I mean, you know, when I worked for the International Sports Sciences Association, you know, part of that was kind of coining a, a definition of fitness, and the, the definition they use is the ability to meet the exigencies, how's that for a, for a word, of your everyday life with a little left to spare in case of emergency. So there's this concept of, of specificity, but there's also a concept of margin. And I think that's the um, that's a, a really interesting point to get into because um, you know how we use like resting heart rate as um, you know a measure one measure of fitness or general health and it's sort of interesting how and I would always make this point when I teach seminars that there are so there are some people who are so uh, unfit and unhealthy that they're actually in a training heart rate when they're just sitting on the couch watching TV <laughs> because they're just. <laughs> So the problem is you have no margin. If you are then called upon to do anything more strenuous than than sit on the couch, you're dead. You maxed out. I like it. (laughs) I don't like people sitting watching TV at their target heart rate. (laughs) But I like the idea of surplus. I think Sean Phillips was kind of alluding to some of that in a a recent uh, episode too, wasn't he? About you you know having some some level of surplus or margin. In fact, you know what, when, we, when I talked about that bench press thing in the 99th percentile, yesterday in the gym when I was done working out, I'm like, you know what, can I really do this? <laughs> so, I mean, because here's me boasting, I could do that in my sleep. I thought, well, yeah, I'm done working chest. I'm a little tired, but let's, let's give it a try. And, yeah, it's, it's very possible. But it, it, clearly, that, see how far that goes above activities of daily living. You know what I mean? I mean, how many times do you have to move three-quarters of your body weight in rapid succession 25 or 26 times. You know, you you just don't. So it's nice to have that margin like Charles is talking about. That's the whole thing, right? When you're when you're an athlete, you achieve an engine that's greater than what everyday life would demand that you 
be required to have, right? So, um, but I think that's part of the fun of what the kind of stuff is that we do, right? I mean, you want to be like that. You want to, it's like the guy who wants to go buy a car and he knows damn well that he doesn't need, you know, 500 horsepower because he can never really use it and, you know, in everyday life, but it's just cool to have that sitting under the hood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think we kind of tend to think of our bodies in that kind of same same way, you know. I mean, you don't really – if you're not in the gym, you don't really need that, but it's, it's fun to walk around knowing that you have that engine. Um, uh, it well, makes me think of – I can't help but think of my, my client, uh, Andy, who um, is 67 and is deadlifting in the mid-fours. I mean, that's a big engine. Rock on, yeah. You follow what I mean? I mean, he's got tons and tons of margin. I mean, this is a guy who will never get to the point where he has trouble moving around or anything, you know? Right on. Hey, let's. Well, I'm curious because, you know, Charles, you work with a lot more people than I do. Well, in a different way, you know, because here's me doing, like, lecturing and doing lab activities and that kind of stuff. And I mean, I know you lecture a lot as well, but what about... That whole idea, I mean, if we're talking about getting back to basics, that whole F-I-T-T, um, do you guys have any thoughts about, do you tell a beginner about frequency when they're just starting off or intensity, you know, or duration, things like that? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I go back and forth between this idea of, you know, um, you know, the average bodybuilding workout that you see, you know, prescribed in, in bodybuilding maze and so forth, they, you know, people think, well, okay, you know, train four or five, six days a week. And, you know, that my whole thing is, you know, the longer I've trained and the stronger I get, the less I can train. Um, so you start thinking, okay, well, you know, well, if that's the case, then certainly a beginner shouldn't be training four or five, six days a week. But but then you have to think, you know, what the, the limitations that they have, that they're able, you know, that the horsepower that they're able to generate, I mean, can they really do that much damage to themselves four or five, six days a week? I mean, because they are um, so weak and so probably have such an inability to kind of generate any sort of intensity because they don't really know what real true intensity is. So, so there's a necessary trade-off between frequency and intensity. Of course. Um, right. I'm just I, trying to spell it out, dude. <laughs> I know yeah, you no, know this. Cool. I know you know this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where I kind of go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth kind of you know, when I talk to young guys and so forth, because I don't, sometimes I don't really know what angle to come at. You have to kind of judge on a, you know, person-to-person basis. If I have someone who is clearly a beginner, I always like to start off with the concept of, uh, you know, the application of a stressor that causes a a homeostatic uh, disruption. So, um, in, in simpler terms, you know, training is a form of stress. So if you, you know, anytime you do anything physically, whether it's sit up out of your chair or deadlift 450 pounds or run a mile or whatever it is, that's a form of stress that disrupts your body's um, tendency to want to remain the same. So I think that's really an important concept. I mean, I think that's where it really begins. If you're talking about FITT, we are talking about the different parameters that are involved with applying stress to a body. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense to start there? I mean, I, I you know, so um, uh, stresses can come in, in all sorts of different forms, clearly. And I think where we like to rely on resistance training, is the, the rationale behind that is twofold. One is that it is a better way to um, 
to uh, challenge and to develop the attribute of muscular strength, which is a mother quality to, to the other fitness attributes. And the other thing is, is that it, 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 because resistance training is scalable in a very quantitative way, mm -hmm. uh, it gives us a lot, a, a very good sense of control about how how we are applying that stress. So we can we can bench press 95 pounds for five sets of five on one workout, and then do it for five sets of six on the second workout, or whatever way you go. But um, I, so my, my whole way of thinking is. Make sure that, that your client or, or whoever it is you're working with has a concept of, of, of applying physical stressors. Then you get into FITT, and mm -hmm. then you get into the, the training principles of progression and specificity and individuality. And I think that's really a great starting point. Yeah, I was thinking just along similar lines. I have an old exercise physiology book that basically lists out what they called you know, training principles one was overload, which you're talking about as, you know, as a stressor. Yeah. So th that can be either with intensity, you know, like more weight, or yeah. duration, more set, right. you know, more right. time. And then specificity, of course, and I know I, I've heard great things that Charles gone back and forth about balancing specificity with, with a certain, um, you know, need for change and mixing it up and things like that. But, uh, and then we can't forget there's another uh, principle, too, which is reversibility. And yes. these these different different physical adaptations reverse uh, at different speeds. Like muscles will atrophy not over the course of a week, but more like several weeks. Really, I mean the process may start fairly soon. But Fortress and I have talked about this many times. Is you can go into the gym without squatting for a month, and you may just really surprise yourself with a personal best or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, but things like mitochondrial density, you know, the little oxidative powerhouses in the cells that aerobic athletes are so interested in, those go up and down on almost a daily basis, which is why you see competitive runners having to put in, you know, dozens of miles a day, you know, many, many, many miles a week because they can't allow their mitochondrial density to start to slip. So <laughs> anyway, uh, that's not real. No, no, no. Uh, no I'm doing, but I'm also just thinking about efficiency because I was having a conversation with a client this morning that, you know, the problem with jogging is that every, you know, you keep getting better and better at it. So every time you do it, it does less for you, which means you have to do more of it, which means you have to spend more time at it. So that's the other problem, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just trying to stick with, you know, reversibility of changes yeah. here. Yeah, no, but for sure. No, there's no doubt because, I mean, there, all that stuff, if, if you hear a lot of uh, people who are sort of beginners, and not just young guys, and there's a lot of middle-aged guys, and they have their own, God, that could be a show of its own, actually, like, you know, getting started as a middle-aged guy. Uh, but uh, a lot of people might hear about high-intensity interval training as an option to, you know, the long, slow, steady stuff. And... You know, partly to clear the air, I have been a proponent in the past of controlling body fat with sort of like morning walks and stuff like that. But don't confuse that with me being a huge proponent of long, slow, you know, medium, steady kind of like jogging all the time. I'm literally talking about like a light walk or, you know, X-Vest walk in the morning to control your body fat or something like that. I am not talking about going out and just running mile after mile after mile, because like Charles says, it, it becomes supremely inefficient over time. So the whole high-intensity interval training stuff that people talk about, like with bike sprints, you know, you sprint for 30 seconds, and then you take that three- or four-minute rest, sprint for 30 seconds, you can actually get big changes in both muscular power output and, like Charles says, you know, the 
almost uh, the parent quality being musc- muscular function to some of the other things, you will also get spillover and get cardiovascular improvements, mitochondrial improvements with HIIT. Uh, so again, I don't want to start going into more intermediate type topics, but you know, it's interesting. I was uh, a client that I have talking to him the other week, and he was talking about you know having him doing some powerlifting stuff, and he was he found himself to be heavy breathing with multiple low rep sets. Um, and his comment to me was, my cardio must be really cracked. I should probably start doing a lot more cardio. And I don't really know how to take that. And I think Lonnie may help with this because I was saying to him that no matter how good or bad my cardio has been at any given time, um, certainly doing a lot of heavy sets and stuff makes you breathe very heavily. And, And the classic case is, well, you must be in really bad cardio conditioning if, if, if you're just doing heavy, you know, doubles or triples or so forth, and, and you still are breathing very heavily. Yep. Yep. But again, there's different levels of, um, obviously, you know, how, the, how that, the cardio kind of plays into that and whether it does well, it all. Yeah. That's so, you know, and I think, by the way, I think the term strength training and cardio confuse people because in right. the case of, of the person you were just talking about, Rob, he was doing cardio. Right. You know? Yeah, so, exactly. So that's where people, you know, any, don't, I think people confuse the, the activity and the result of the activity. If, if you're the person who's at maximal heart rate on the couch, when you stand up out of, you know, from a sitting position, you're doing strength training and you're doing cardio training. You know, for some people, if you take a walk to the mailbox, that's cardiovascular training. For me, it's, I would personally have this term it locomotion. But, you know, it just depends on where your starting point is. Yeah. I think it also might be benefit, beneficial for the show to talk a little bit about maybe what each one of us thinks is, because again, we, I think we talk mostly again from a standpoint of strength training and so forth and how that, you know, either specifically to powerlifting or weightlifting or how those things can, you know, be beneficial to another sport. But what do each of us would um, suggest to a young guy in the gym, and, and which we find, probably find ourselves doing quite frequently, as far as the basics of what somebody should kind of have, um, you know, at their disposal to build upon, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, and I'll tell you, there's nutrition basics that really need to go hand-in-hand with a lot of this, too. I get emails all the time about, what do you think about this supplement or that supplement or, you know, this protocol, this collection of supplements, you know, which is popular now, you know, take this, this whole amalgamated box full of stuff for a couple hundred <laughs> bucks a month, you know, um, and that kind of stuff. And without going into a lot of the specifics with that, what I use, in fact, I just responded to a guy yesterday. He was a university student, bright guy. And I said, you know, the most important thing is that you're eating about 3,500 or 4,000 calories a day. You know, he's a fairly big kid. He's trying to put on some weight. So, you know, he's trying to get, keep his calories up. He's, he's getting whey protein before and after workouts and, you know, that kind of stuff. So there's lots of theories on different training principles, you know, not principles, but training programs and different eating programs and things like that. But, you know, calories and protein are an indisputable part of the picture, you know. So, again, this is the nutrition in me coming out here. But and one of the things I always tell my students is when someone says, do I need more protein? You know, talk about the average Joe. I usually say, answer them with your own question. How many calories are you getting a day? Because there's sort of an inverse relationship. If people eat lots and lots of calories... They don't need tons of protein, especially if they're more intermediate or advanced. Um, but if you know you're not getting enough 
calories, then you'll need more protein. So there's, you know, protein and calories are realities of it, whether you're going to take a, a, a supplement, even an effective supplement like creatine monohydrate. Um, get the calorie and protein thing and, and the nutrient timing thing, the pre-post-workout feedings down, right? And that's going to help you not waste your time when you are busting your butt in the gym, whether you're doing it with tons of intensity or you're more of a volume, you know, duration kind of person or whatever it is. Um, you've got to feed yourself fairly frequently during the day and definitely before, after a workout. You should be eating slightly differently on workout days than you do non-workout days because of your need for fluids and, you know, the, the workout windows of opportunity that open up and that kind of stuff. So, anyway, Rob, like that's just response to what you're saying. No, absolutely. I'd like to just shift the gears now into the actual mechanics, which is kind of my forte. And just, you know, I was in the gym last week, and it, it just hit me again, and it hits me at probably regular intervals. You know, I'll be in the gym, and I'll just get this kind of epiphany and light bulb over my head where I'm just sitting between sets watching, you know, what other people are doing. And it seems to me, and again, I'm I'm in Canada, so, you know, my, but I think it's probably much the same there. You, you, it doesn't seem to, the message of, you know, compound movements, basic movements, and those forming the cornerstones of, you know, what any person should be essentially doing in progressive training. It doesn't seem that that message doesn't seem to be hitting home. It really doesn't. Decades later, I still I still don't think that's really understood among most people. You know, um, the need to kind of For sure. focus on again um, multi joint movements and so forth. I mean. You see it time and time again. You know, guys come in the gym who are 140 pounds and they're doing rever reverse wrist curls, you know, and, you know, or guys who want to put muscular body weight on and they just come and do biceps. And they, I mean, I understand the need that some people just want, you know, some guys just want the, the, the physical size and so forth, but they, they don't, the message doesn't seem to be getting through to these people, again, decades, decades and decades later, that you really, you know, how the best way is to go about that and that, you know, training chest and biceps all the time is not going to give you muscular size and body weight, you know, and certainly from an athletic standpoint, that's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not, you know, very important, but it, it, the message just doesn't seem to be getting out there. If I can give a little real-world example, my childhood friend, uh, Keith, he, I remember he and I would lift weights all the time. We were trying to gain weight, desperate to gain weight, and... At one point, we just cut back on the volume of all the different sports and a lot of the other stuff we were doing, you know, because the goal at this point was basically just hypertrophy. So we cut back on all the overtraining stuff, and he started squatting, and he put on like 20 pounds over like a six- or eight-month period. I mean, and he was always very lean, you know, sort of ectomorphic guy. All this, you know, muscular body weight, just because he kind of pulled back, he was trying to do too many things, you know, and... He, and he he was squatting, you know. Like so, this really kind of supports what you're saying, Fortress, because you know enough with the preacher curls and everything. There's nothing wrong with that. But he put some weight on his back and he squatted up and down. I mean, it's a fairly simple formula: protein, calories, multi-joint movements. This is this is sort of building nicely, I think. I, I would like to address your question too, and and this, what you guys just said is going to be a segue to what I'm going to recommend, but. I believe your question was, you know, if you're a beginner to resistance training, like, you know, what's our advice to you? And right. my advice to somebody would be, and, and it, would, it doesn't matter if you're 18 years old or 40 years old, but my advice to you would be to join a lifting club. And, and my advice is not to see a personal trainer 
but get into a, a, a lifting club, and that, that could be weightlifting or powerlifting, and there are some clubs who do both, but get involved in a group of people who are doing this competitively, um, and I think that's where you're going to learn how to do the fundamental lifts properly, and you're going to be in a group environment, and I think along the way it's likely... Now, by the way, joining a club is not a guarantee for success because there are some bad ones out there, but I think you have a much better chance of getting on a good path, learning how to do the lifts properly, uh, being in a good supportive atmosphere. And frankly, I think most athletes have a better handle on how to eat than, than you know, a lot well, of Well, I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying because I, I don't have a very high opinion, and we've discussed this in the past, of, of the majority of who personal trainers. I mean, most personal trainers haven't a clue of how to lift properly, so... There's simply too yep. many types of certification, a, a lot of them garbage. Um, just, you know, my work through uh, the American Society of Exercise Physiologists, a lot of those guys are quick to point out, there's something like 300 or 350 different personal training certificates, and a lot of them are garbage, guys. So, you know, find someone who has a, a collection of educate, real education, a portfolio of experience, you know, which is part of the reason, of course, we're all doing this podcast, right? I mean, we are competitors who are educated and, you know, we, we sort of give a damn <laughs> from a consumer point, you know, point of view. So uh, be careful when you choose a trainer. God, you're right. There's so much hokey crap out there. Uh, people who think they're trainers, um, maybe they just think they've got a lot of experience and that's enough. But trust me, you could do something wrong for 20 years and just not know any better. So experience has to come along with some type of train, you know, of formal, you know, education or competitive experience, you know, um, proof that that you're the real deal. So going back to kind of what I said a few minutes ago, I, I just want to bring this up: the whole concept of the message not getting through. What do you guys think that is? Do you think? Do you think that most people say it's kind of a, a, a fear of looking stupid or, you know, what, guys what not, not looking capable because, they, you know, they squat and it's awkward as hell for the, in the best of times when you're a beginner? I mean, do you think it's a fear thing or ego type of thing? What do you think it is? Or people just, again, are just missing the message. Like, what is it? Yeah, it's ego. I think... I think guys just think they know how to lift. <laughs> just by <laughs> virtue. Yeah. I, I think this came up before. Like I just think guys like just think it's part of their DNA. And uh, women aren't that way to their credit. Like you know, they'll admit they don't. You know, it's kind of like similar. Like you know, to guys not asking for directions when they're driving somewhere. But I just yeah, I just think that you know, it feels like a slight to your manhood that you don't know how to lift. I agree with that. Yeah, I think there's a certain level of of fear of looking stupid. Sure there is. I mean, you, you got to, and that's why I like Charles' idea of the club too, because then you're going in there and you're saying, hey guys, I'm really interested in this. What can you teach me or, you know, show me this or show me that. And it's sort of built into the process that there's going to be some people to mentor you, you a little bit. Because in bodybuilding at least, gosh, it's just so different. It, it tends to be, you know, there aren't the clubs it's every man for himself sort of, you know, in the gym. And, and it, this may bleed into our topic of the day here about, you know, crazy stuff we've seen in the gym. But, you know, you see people doing just kind of stupid stuff. And, you know, you're like, oh, man, you know, I don't have it, – it, it's not built into the other members of the club necessarily of the bodybuilding gym to, you know, 
mentor you necessarily, take their own time or whatever. Now, many of them will answer your questions, but it's not the same thing as sort of, uh, you know, working in a group like Charles was saying either. By, so. by the way, I want to make a point too, you know, that uh, first of all, I think the age of personal training is completely dead. One-on-one -on -one is not the best way to do things, uh, and there are a number of reasons for this. One, one obvious reason is that, you know, uh, your training partner may fail you, but, you know, you're never going to have the group not show up, you know. So there are, there's a social support element to this. But I want to make another point, and I've never heard anybody say this. But I've seen a lot of trainers out there who are incompetent, and their clients don't realize they're incompetent. <laughs> and the clients work with the trainer one-on-one. -on -one. But if you are a coach and you're coaching a group of people and you, you coach groups, you're not going to fool the group as easily as you're going to fool an individual. I think a group is less likely to be incompetent than an individual trainer or coach. That's good consumer advocate advice right there. Okay. I mean, I just think that, you know, um, a group is more – you're not going to have a group if you're incompetent, or at least it's a lot less likely. Somebody's going to cry foul, yeah. Yeah, eventually, yeah. Like, I dude, just, what? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just think people are going to start talking to each other. It's going to be you're going to be figured out. So um, <laughs> that, that's just that's another that's another kind of aspect of this. I I just think that there's power in numbers on a certain level, and um, you know, so uh, you, you know, if you're if you're training people individually, if people eventually find out that you're incompetent, you just go on to the next one, and there's you know, there's no end of people you know to to, to be your potential clients, but the group situation, I think, is a little different. Yeah. I'd like to throw out a, a sort of a monkey wrench into all of this, too. And, and this is all really good stuff, I think. But uh, one of the things is that y as you build experience, it's important to get with the program. You know, there's an old Zen saying, something about, you know, quit all your bargaining and just get with the program, at least for a while. But a a after a while, if something really starts seeming incompetent to you or hokey in some way. Um, and this could be true with training programs, a personal trainer, a supplement, whatever. It may not, you know, be working for you. Some things may not work for you just because everyone is different. And this is the monkey wrench. Is the big buzzword in nutrition is nutrigenomics, right? That some people have the genes to respond to certain nutrients better. Some people have the genes to diet better, you know, from a restriction kind of standpoint. There's People respond differently, and I think coaches have known this for a long time. Now we're just starting to identify certain genes. And I think the same thing is going to be true. Like Just like there's nutrigenomics, I think we're going to see more and more attention given to something like exercise genomics, which is maybe some people do better uh, with very brief high-intensity workouts. Maybe some people need a little bit more volume. You know, maybe some people do great and they don't really do a lot of direct arm work. Maybe some people do need direct arm work, I mean, if they're from a bodybuilding perspective or something. So take that into this process that you're, you have a unique set of genes that's going to – I mean, there are certain principles that we've already laid down that are basic truths. But also remember, you're going to respond differently a little bit than some other people. And if you get a guru, and this really heats me up, I see this on the internet all the time, a guru will say, I eat like this, it works great, so you need to eat like this. Wrong. Wrong. Unless you have a very similar genetic component, you know, a, a genome to this guy, 
No. You, that, that's just that's and so the same thing, and the same thing is with true with training. You know, I train like this and this is the, you know, the super tough guy way. Uh get on it and do it like this and you're going to be huge too. No. I mean, maybe, but that's where coaching, an experienced coach like Charles comes in and says, "Well, we're not making a lot of progress in this direction. Let's mix it up. You know, let's toy with the intensity, volume, continuum." or the frequency in days per week, or maybe even the movements you're doing, or maybe it's the psychological stuff. There are so many variables. You know, That's why getting w- with a, a coach who's going to be open about this stuff and not say, I do it like this, so it's going to work for you. No. You know, in research, that's an N of one, right? That's one subject yeah, that's as the evidence that, point. Yeah. Not good. But not good. But don't so. you think, and I'm not really disputing what you're saying, but don't you think a lot of people use that as an excuse? What do you the mean? whole excuse of, you know, like, well, I know what I'm doing. He gets some guy who clearly has no idea what he's doing, and he's, his experience is nil. And if anybody tries to say anything to him, his whole thing is, I know my body and I know what I'm doing. And they use that as an excuse, right? Like, I don't have to squat because, and they, they just they use that as a justification. I mean, I'm not saying that they consciously consciously are aware of kind of like what you're saying, Lonnie, but they kind of use it as an excuse, the concept of that. Well, I would say this. I mean, once I actually did sort of a, I did a weight gain algorithm and a weight loss algorithm, just trying to point out some of the, you know, right turns and left turns of of the process and all that. And at some point, first of all, you have to be honest with yourself. You know, if you're not, if you're a coward and you don't want to do leg work, then step up and say that, you know, I'm a coward or, you know, and now injuries aside and all that, of course. So you can't make excuses. If somebody's making excuses and they're not being very honest with themselves, it, it, you can't plot a course based on falsehoods. So your training program, your your mesocycles over the next X period or, you know, your training style, it can't be based on a false baseline. You've got to have truths guiding you. So if you're true to yourself, you know, and you're being honest, uh, you're right. I, I I can see some people using that as an excuse, but you know, at that point, it's just not being honest with yourself, and that doesn't help you or your coach or anybody around you make corrections for you. Because if you're saying, "Oh, leg work never worked for me," it's like, well, you know, let's dig into this. What were you doing? Leg extensions? Well, see, you know, maybe that's your problem. Yeah, and that's the whole thing, right? You hear? I mean, come on. How many times have you talked to some guy about squatting or something? Well, I got you know, I got bat, my my knees hurt or something like that. But these, but how many people actually say, "Oh yeah, I can't bench because my shoulders." I mean, it, it's just so disproportionate. You know, what I mean, it's that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of coming to coming at when I say you know, using it as an excuse. People use everything as an excuse to kind of get out of, like you say, you know, um, to stay cowards, to remain a coward. And it, it's just it's kind of sickening. That's all. Well, we can all be genetically different. And still all be honest with ourselves. Like, I'll give you an example. Rob, you've heard me say this. I've said this on the air before. I'm a sucky bench presser, you know. I'm not bad with the dumbbells. You know, I can handle respectable weights. But with a bar in my hand, I am a sorry bench presser, you know. And But I admit that. So if I was really interested in increasing my barbell bench, I'd probably be bugging you and Charles both for, you know, tips and what I can do, and I mean, I understand the movement and things like that, but obviously there's a lot of nuances that I don't because it, it doesn't make any sense to me that I can routinely use 120-pound dumbbells in like a, a dumbbell press, and then I'm struggling with 275 or 300 on the bench, you know what I mean? 
So I don't know. I, you, well, yeah, you, of course. You can be different. You can be genetically different and be honest about it. So, but that's what it is. is, is people are just not being honest with them, you know, with other people, and more importantly, they're not being honest with themselves, you know, and or they, you know, you throw in a measure of cowardice, and you just have softness all around. I think Charles' idea about the clubs will help with that too a little bit. If you get a lot of positive support. You know, you might be able to almost give an out to somebody. If somebody's afraid to fail, and that's a real fear for people, then, you know, you got a bunch of people around you, you know, come on, if you fail, you know, we're not going to ride you, you know, but if you do great or, you know, like, like Phil often says, you know, pick, how did I succeed today? What did I do today that was sort of a personal best that I didn't do before? Maybe it's not always a higher number on the bench press, on the barbell itself, on the bar, but maybe it's something else. You know, maybe you do more sets of uh, doubles or, you know, it felt better in some way or, you know, there's got to, there's lots of different and the thing ways is the to longer, rack up a personal best, I think. And the longer you, you know, the more experience you have, obviously the more ways you have those of, of measuring these types of things. I mean, there's so many different ways you can measure a betterment, right? And beginners always think, yeah, it's just, you know, I lifted more weight or whatever, but they don't understand that because they don't have the experience to know that there's just a myriad of ways that you can actually quantify that, you know, you did something better that day that doesn't necessarily, you know, pertain to just more weight lifted. Yep, right. If you like what you're hearing here today, check out the article library at www.ironradio.org. There's a new article there about a 2010 conference that was actually trying to answer what the best number of sets and reps and intensity is for maximal muscle mass, among lots of other stuff, like how women respond to weight training, what cortisol really does to your physique and body fat over time, and tons more. So please, if you want to check these things out, be our guest, www.ironradio.org. Hey, you know what, you guys, we don't have a lot of time left. I want to I want each of us to tell at least one crazy gym story. Can we do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I know we only have like 10 minutes, but I want to hear something from each of you guys because I've, I've got one or two myself, and I, I, maybe in the future we'll, we can develop this more, but do you have any things that come to mind, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a ton of them, but the first one that comes to mind is because to this day I always kind of Sometimes just giggle to myself when I'm in the gym thinking about this, if it kind of just pops in my mind. Years and years ago, this, at the time, um, top kind of national con- Canadian uh, bodybuilder guy, he was to, it was, just, it was the strangest thing. This is a, a now defunct gym that used to exist in the city of Toronto, but he used to come in the gym and put like 500 pounds on and wrap his knees t- tighter than I've seen any powerlifter ever tight wrap his knees. I mean, to the point where it was, it was dangerous. And he'd put 500 pounds in the squat bar, and he'd just put it on his back and just walk around the gym for half an hour. I mean, it was the strangest wow, thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it that was... just spurs. You just changed my story because I just that just sparked a memory for me. But wow. Oh, that's good. Yeah, but it was it was just very bizarre because I mean, I could, I could still picture in my mind doing this, and it was just even. I mean, this is when I was only 19 or 20, but even then, it, it struck me as just being very peculiar that this guy would do this and. It was very dangerous because he has 500 pounds, just, you know, he was a reasonably tall dude, so it's like, you know, 500 pounds hovering six feet in the air. And he'd be walking in amongst all the machines while people are working out. Just, just walking around. <laughs> nice. You know what? There's, nice. There's, I, 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 I'm torn 
internally as to whether I think the guy's an idiot or, or brilliant. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I thought the same thing. <laughs> Can you give me give me a week to make that pronouncement? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, again, I won't I won't mention his name, but here in Canada, I think a lot of people would probably remember who this person was. Well, with all the interest in functional training and everything else, I I I, I could kind of see, you know, the the possibility there that the guy is, you know, onto something in a way. But yeah, no doubt there's there's an injury risk walking around a gym wow. with that much weight. Oh yeah, he's like he's walking by kids on like the you know long pulley row and stuff with like five hundred pounds. And he's gonna dump it on them. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Just wow. walking around. I don't know. Lonnie, you or me? Why don't you go go ahead, Charles? All right, this is actually a non-gym story, but it is kind of a training story. And I might ha- have had had Rob's story not sparked this memory, I might not have ever thought of it again. But and I don't know why it sparked me, but um, this was at City College in Santa Barbara, California. And I was uh, practicing discus on the track, and there was a guy who. Uh, on every level, appeared to be homeless, uh, and I'm just basing that on his clothing and hygiene and, you know, just general uh, ambiance. But this guy was, he had a backpack on that was full of rocks, and I don't know how heavy the backpack was, but it was just a, a backpack with rocks in it. And I don't mean like a nice, like, nylon, it was like a, a canvas kind of old, torn-up backpack. And what this guy was doing was jumping. Uh, he was on. He was on the stadium steps. And if you can imagine, okay, imagine the seats, not not, not the steps per se, but the seats, if you will. Mm-hmm. And he would start at the top of the stadium. And I will just never forget being uh, just stunned at what this guy was doing. He was jumping. He would start at the top step of the stadium of the track stadium, and he would start at the top. He would be standing on the seat, and he would jump down. And he would he would he would cover five or six sets of seats. So he wasn't he wasn't just jumping from the top seat to the next seat. He would he would gap like five or six, and, and, the, and the jump he was airborne for like a good two seconds or so. I mean that's how long he was in the air. And he would just hit that seat and stick the landing, and it would be just unbelievable. And I was just clearly I mean this is a situation if you missed you'd be dead. You would yeah. just be dead. I mean, I, I dead. wouldn't dare. Yeah. I would not dare do this without the backpack full. Right? <laughs> and, and he would go. He would go all God. the way down, and he would cover the top step to the not the step. But he would cover the st- the top seat to the bottom seat, and about six jumps. And then he would walk up to the top and do it again. And uh, I, I have no idea. I was afraid to talk to the guy. I have no idea what he was trying to accomplish. <laughs> I, I don't. know. Yep, yep, so there's my story. No idea what he's trying to... Hey, what are no, you trying no. to accomplish? <laughs> it was stunning. I just, honestly, it was it was truly an athletic feat, but obviously, <laughs> just, I mean, how your knees would not just explode on the very first round. <laughs> and like you say, man, if he, I mean, if he even slightly missed or miscalculated, that's oh, like... Oh, he'd be absolutely dead. Oh, yeah, there's, you'd, you'd completely just, wipe out in a horrific way. There's no analysis there, right? I mean, it's like, you know, whatever you're trying to accomplish, aside from having your, your patellas blow off like a shotgun shell, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the pro might be, you know, oh, I'm getting some kind of conditioning or my quadriceps or something, I don't know. And con <laughs> is 
death. <laughs> As in dead. <laughs> I mean, who would engage in this activity? How do how does you know quadriceps strength measure up against dead? <laughs> I don't understand. Well, you know, and uh, believe me when I tell you, if you conjure this up in your mind, it was far more precarious looking to actually see it than what you can conjure up in your own mind. I mean, it's just <laughs> ungodly unbelievable. Wow. I wish I had given some more thought into this. I'll admit, I mean, as far as like, you know, crazy stuff that I, it's like stupid stuff. I'm going to have to think, brainstorm about this a little. I, I couldn't off the top of my head just come up with, you know, something that was really stupid. Well, I several years of, ago, I'll give you a time to think about it for a second, Lonnie. Several years ago, I think we've talked about it. I saw some, some personal trainer, quote unquote, training some woman who I swear to God was about 50 years old. You could tell she was weak as weak could be and probably never seen the inside of a gym. He had this this gal standing on top of a Swiss ball, one of those gigantic Swiss balls, in a squat rack, trying to balance. I think he had like 115 pounds on the bar, trying to squat like this. And you should have seen this woman. I mean, I'm thinking... You're talking about dead. I'm thinking if this woman woman's feet go sideways on this ball, I mean, the oh, calamity of <laughs> bodily harm that would do. Oh, it would be horrific. I know. Horrific I, just, I remember watching this, and I'm thinking to myself, this is just a lawsuit waiting to happen here, and most likely coming from her husband, not her, because she'll be dead. See, now, that's exactly where Charles' idea about, you know, be with a group, somebody else in the group would be like, even if it was just timidly right. raising right. his hand, going, um, yeah, is this uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, somebody would, yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. Right. Well, you mentioned squats. I'm, I'll, I, I guess I can reveal a personal story. This was, this was stupid beyond belief. I was 19 years old. I remember. And Rob, I've told you this story before. And <laughs> looking back, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm proud that I was very motivated, but God, the misguidedness here, but um, <laughs> I used to work as a, as a keg boy in a theme park, right? So I hauled kegs around all day, and I'm sort of ectomorphic, right? I'm not like one of these, I don't have a neck as big as my head kind of guys, you know, I'm not incredibly thickly built, so I'm exhausted. I'd work 10, 12-hour days as a keg boy, and I was very upset because it was ruining my training, I mean, now, you know, this is training in itself, so, so I was going to work out, and I, I, I worked on weekends at a gym, so after work, at midnight, I went into the gym, I let myself in, there's nobody around, and I was going to do my usual squat workout, and so, I mean, I wasn't super strong at the time, but I remember I put 315 on the bar, and I was so tired, I took out wrist wraps, and I strapped myself to the bar. So this means if I fail, I'm going to die. <laughs> I mean, it would be horrific, right? I mean, if I collapsed, I can't let go of the bar. Mm-hmm. And I strapped myself to the bar, and I did my set. And one of the nights that I did this, um, I I opened my I, – I just – I don't know. I opened my eyes, and I was looking at these, these bright – rectangles and I'm like what the hell is going on and I realized that I was on my back I had passed out and I was looking <laughs> at the lights in the ceiling and and that's when I stopped and I looked up and, I, and my first thought was oh my god am I dead I thought I was going to look down and my legs were going to be like bent at some horrific angle and, and <laughs> you're like a Jim Carrey yeah 
Oh, Christ. And I looked up, and I had racked the bar, and I guess I slipped out of the wraps, and I passed out. So clue in, people. Youth and enthusiasm, great, but sometimes, you know, the enthusiasm of youth can become the regrets of maturity. Nice, I lucked out, though, but God dang it. Midnight strap squats. That's, that's Since you're a nutrition guy, why don't you tell us about the story you told me about that, that roommate or whatever you once had that, like, was eating a bucket of free and weight gainer or something. Oh, well, I guess I could. I mean, just briefly, there's actually there are different kinds of eating disorders, and and this guy didn't fit the criteria for you know bulimia per se, um, because he wasn't binging and purging often enough each week for you know three months or whatever. But he he definitely had sort of some kind of you know body dysmorphia, and he had been starving himself and this and that, and you know obsessing over his his body fat content or his small muscles and all this and and he came home and I remember he just he, he plopped down on the floor with a three and a half pound canister of weight gainer is this what you're talking about Rob yeah yeah and I watched him annihilate it dry with a spoon <laughs> oh. so I calculated this was something like you know I don't know 38,000 calories or something <laughs> And he annihilated it, and obviously you can't digest that much dry powder, oh, you know. Oh, my God. And the dude just, I mean, he destroyed us with, with with gas and flatulence for like three days after that. I'm like, Christ, man, what is wrong with you, you know? Because, you know, to him, but again, in a way it's sort of sad because, this, you know, he's really going off the deep end. I'm going to get a huge one with you, though, damn it. Again with this, you know. That's I'd not like how to... you do it, bud. You know, that's not how you do it. You don't eat 38,000 calories, calories yeah. of protein powder dry or, you know, weight gainer, and, you know, and then just punish your roommates and peel the wallpaper off the wall. I could go right. on with this shit forever, but because, Lonnie, you were saying that you, you were brave enough to say something stupid you'd done, I would like to say quickly, I remember years and years and years ago, I was probably about 19, 18, 19 years old, my buddy at the time that we used to squat with, he was a powerlifter, and he had squat rack in his in his garage, and it was the middle of winter, and there was no heat out there. And we thought it was cool to go out there in like snowsuits and squat. Um, this is like when it's like minus twenty, minus twenty five. Uh, then one day I, I wanted to up the ante, so I said, you know what? Let's go out there on the coldest day. Let's turn out the lights and squat when it's pitch black in there. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, it was awesome. Nice. Yeah, there you go. So we were putting like four hundred five on the bar. It was like pitch black in there in the middle of winter it was like a blizzard at night <laughs> we had like snow suits on <laughs> and we're like trying to spot each other and all you'd hear something crash so you'd run over and turn on the light and you know one of us would be on the floor with the bar like baits everywhere Dude, i don't understand i just I, I don't understand that at all yeah i still don't understand that. <laughs> the dark you know what i think that kind of goes along the lines. i can't remember what the, the the famous uh there's a famous author who said something about it might have been is that one of the James Dean flicks? Something about he walks into the bar and he's or into a, a restaurant or something, and he says, "Anything dangerous to do around here?" You know, it's, it's, it sort of seems to be the thing, the cool thing for young men to do. How, you know, how dangerous and stupid can I be, or something? Yeah. I don't know. Well, at one time, uh, at one point, I'd like to uh, retell my uh, my tale of my squat mania I had. I won't do it today, but sometime I want to talk about squat mania. Squat mania. Okay. I've told you All about right. squat mania. This was uh, highly entertaining and mildly educational, so uh, we're going to call it a success. <laughs> and, uh, we'll catch up next week, and we'll we'll.
we'll continue uh, we'll continue next week. So uh, have an awesome weekend. Train hard, you guys. Thanks, Great. everybody. Great show. Thanks, guys. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need. 